Hey, New Covenant Church. Uh, my name is Michaela, and I have the privilege of serving on the worship team. Um, but if you didn't know, I'm actually one of the other daughters of Pastor Chris, and he asked me a couple days ago if I would share just a piece of my story of how I came to be part of this family, part of his family. Um, so if you'll sit back and listen just for a second, I'm going to share with you um, just a piece of it. Um, so when I was 14, uh, pretty much from that time up until I was about 18, 19 years old, uh, I was living from house to house, um, from family to family, from couch to couch. Um, I can't tell you how many holidays I spent with uh, people that I wasn't related to, um, more than I can count. Uh, but uh, when I was 18, uh, I met a girl named Hannah Bauer, who's now Hannah Hubner, and the Lord brought her into my life in one of the most unique ways that I can, I can't even imagine this ever happening again. Um, and truthfully, most people give us a hard time because uh, <laughs> they gave us uh, they gave us a lot of a lot of heck about hanging out with each other at the time because we were both troublemakers. Um, but the Lord, being exactly who He is and having a sense of humor, um, used it to do something that I would have never expected. I could have never imagined, um, and that was to bring me a family. Um, I grew up in a single parent household. Um, and because of choices that were made and things along those lines. Uh, like I said, when I was 14, I actually began moving and living in different homes with different people. Um, and most of these people were amazing. They opened up their homes and their, their families to me, and they were so generous and so kind to me um, at a time when I really did need uh, just somebody to stay. Um, but looking back on that now, I see that a lot of my life was filtered through a lens of rejection and abandonment um, and truthfully just hurt, a lot of hurt um, in my life. And uh, like I said, when I was 18, I met Hannah Bauer and in the weirdest way, uh, the Lord began to minister to my heart and began to show me that from the very beginning when He first created me, that He already had a plan and a family in store for me. And so when I met the Bowers, uh, they, won't, they, uh, they told me then, uh, well, they didn't tell me then, that they knew from the very beginning um, when they first met me that I was supposed to be a part of their family. And I really wish they told me this, but they were waiting for me to hear the voice of God on my own or whatever. So yeah, uh, um, but I, uh, I began living with them and the Lord just began peeling back pieces and pieces of my heart, just exposing things and just making me vulnerable and uh, he, he just, he, he began healing me. And uh, I see now that just like Jesus, um, the Bowers came into my life to be my parents, to be my family, and it wasn't an accident. Um, it was exactly what the Lord had it planned from the very beginning. Um, I was always supposed to be a part of the Bower family. Um, it's not just something that was on paper. It's not just something that we say because we're good people or that they're good people. Um, it was the begin. It was the plan from the very beginning, and that's what uh, that's what Jesus had for me. Um, I remember when I was little, I used to think like, "Oh man, I really wish I had sisters, or I really wish that I had this or this or this." And um, it's just crazy how the Lord, be, like, he, he was like, "Just wait, just wait, just wait." And so um, it is really such a picture of Jesus, what the Lord does. So anyway, hope you enjoy the sermon, and thanks for listening. Good morning, church. What a great Jesus story Michaela is. We love her so much, and our family would not be the same without her. And you know what? The family of God wouldn't be the same without you. 
There's so many great stories that we could tell about Michaela coming into our lives. A couple of them just really jump out to me in, a, in our process of bringing her into the family. There was the first Christmas that she was with us, and she had been in our house for four or five months by that time, but she was still you know, living out of suitcases. She was still acting as if she was a guest. But the Lord had really spoken to us about giving her a key to the house. So we wrapped it up as a Christmas present and we put it under the tree. And it was just something special for her. Because, you know, only family gets keys to the house. Only people really important and really close get keys to the house. So we gave her a key. And then there was the time that we did a, an adoption ceremony with her. The, the church was there, and we were on stage, and Pastor Sam officiated, and it was kind of like a, a wedding ceremony. Uh, Lisa and I and Elise and Hannah were on one side, and Michaela was on the, the other side, and uh, Pastor Sam would say, okay, Bauer family, do, do you accept Michaela as a daughter, as a sister? Do you intend to love her and cherish her? Just the same way you would ask for vows at a wedding ceremony. That's what we did with Michaela. And then he turned around to Michaela and do you, do you accept the Bauer family as your family? We really wanted it to be as real as it could be. She is a part of our family. In Ephesians 1.5, it says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his very own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. It gave us great pleasure to bring Michaela into our family, and it gives God great pleasure to bring us into his family. We're in a lesson series called Great News. There's been so much bad news going around for the last few months that we wanted to take several weeks and just talk about great news. The great news of who God is, the great news that we, we get out of his word. And this morning, we're going to talk about the great news that you are in the family. You are part of the family. If you're in a relationship with Jesus, if you have that covenant relationship with Jesus, if you're a Jesus follower, you're in the family. In Psalms 103, verses 1 and 2, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not any of his benefits. There are benefits to being in the family of God, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about five benefits of being in the family of God, and we're going to take them out of the first three chapters of Ephesians. So uh, go ahead and grab your Bible. It's really important that, that you look through this with me, and whether you have a, a paper Bible or a digital Bible, e even with the Bible app, you can highlight things. But I like to take my Bible, and I underline things. I write things in the margin. I remember one time somebody saw my Bible, and they, they, they were baby Christians, and they said, you write in your Bible? And I said, yes, I write in my Bible because the Word speaks to me. 
The Lord speaks to me while I'm, I'm studying the Word, and I write it out in the margins. In fact, so much so that the last Bible I bought about four years ago, I bought it with a really wide margin so I could write notes. And then there's scriptures that I underline. There's things that I put in brackets, I put in stars, I circle it. So the next time I come to it, it will remind me that this, this part was really important to me. So go ahead and grab your Bible because I want you to see this and it may be that you need to underline some of this. You need to, to put stars and brackets and just write out in the margin what the Lord is saying to you this morning. We're going to look at five benefits to being in the family of God. Now, to be honest with you, five barely even touches anything. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, there's at least 26 times that it says something about us. It will say, in Jesus, in him, through him, through Christ. And when it says that, he's talking directly to us. Talking directly to us, those that have been adopted into the family of God. 26 times in just the first three chapters of Ephesians. But there's almost 140 of these in him promises in the New Testament. We're just going to look at five this morning. So we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So the first uh, benefit to being in the family, the first in him promise I want you to see is in him we have redemption. The New Testament word redemption uh, means liberation procured by payment. Liberation procured by payment. I know that word procure is kind of a big word, and I don't want to throw too many big words out here because it tends to confuse our youth pastor, uh, Pastor Roger. You know, last week he had to Google a word that, that I used, and we don't want to do that to him. We love Pastor Roger so much. We want to use little words for him. So uh, maybe a better translation would be ransom paid in full. Ransom paid in full. If, if uh, It's as if we have been kidnapped by the enemy, kidnapped by sin, and God has paid the ransom in full. He's redeemed us. A few weeks ago, I was doing one of the little Wednesday night teachings that I've been doing, and I was, I was digging into this word redemption, and I told the story about S&H green stamps. Some of you are old enough to remember S&H green stamps. When I was just a little boy and I would go to the grocery store with my, one of my grandmothers there in Jefferson, Texas, we would go down to the Piggly Wiggly. And depending on how much money you spent, depended on how many of these green stamps that you would get. They had this big green uh, machine that you just dialed it in. If you spent $28.13, it'd be $28.13. And you would get all these stamps. And we would take all these stamps home and you would put them in a, in a booklet. And these booklets, you could save them up and you could redeem them for things, for gifts, uh, housewares, toys. My, um, my grandmother got me a guitar with S&H green stamps. You traded one thing for another thing. You see, Jesus traded his sinlessness for our 
sinfulness. We were kidnapped by sin. Kidnapped by sin. But the ransom has been paid in full. All right, moving on. In Ephesians 1 verse 11, there in just the first part of the scripture, it says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. So the second benefit that I want to talk about, the second benefit uh, of being in the family of God is in him we've inherited. We've inherited. What have we inherited? Let's go back to Psalms 103. And let's read just a little bit more. Remember Psalms 103, we started the, the, the message off with that. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. So here the, the, the psalm writer lists a few of the benefits of being in the family of God. It says, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from a pit. You ever felt like you were in a pit? Well, Jesus is there to redeem us from that pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good things, good things. Looking over in 2 Peter 1.3, it tells us that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Everything that you're ever going to need, everything that you're ever going to need that would pertain to life or to godliness or to live a godly life, God has already provided that for us. And we need to believe that. There also in Ephesians 1, if we just scoot up a few verses, in verse 3, it says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing that's in heaven. God is not holding out anything on us. In fact, he has invested a lot in us. All of the resources of heaven are invested in you as a family member. Think about it kind of like this. It's, uh, if I took out my wallet, if I took out my wallet here and I said, I want to meet your needs, whatever, whatever you need, here, take my wallet. And if you look in, in my wallet, you would see that there is $107 and four credit cards. Now, I could give you this wallet and you could take that wallet and go, oh, I love this wallet. I love the wallet of Chris. But you know what? If you never take anything out of the wallet, it's not going to do you any good. If you never put anything that's in the wallet into, into action, it's not going to do you any good. Because you could take these credit cards out and you could say, well, there's healing. Well, there's provision. There's love, joy, and peace. Oh, and, and, and here's destiny and wisdom, whatever you may need, whatever you may need, anything that pertains to life and to godliness, the Lord has already blessed us with. He has already given to us. He's provided it. But if we don't put it into action, if we don't take it and we don't use it, it's not going to do us any good. If I give you the wallet and you never take anything out of the wallet, it's not going to do you any good. 
It's very much like the Word of God. You could say, this is like God's wallet. In here, there's healing. In here, there's provision. In here, there's love. There's joy. There's peace. In here, there's wisdom. There's guidance. And you can take it and you go, oh, I love the Word of God. I love the Bible. And you could even read it. But if you never put it into practice, if you never mix faith with what you're reading, you're not going to get anything out of it. It's just going to be words on the page, just like credit cards in a wallet. If we don't put it in to practice, if we don't put it in to, to uh, practice. All right, let's move on. Verse 13 there in Ephesians 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So here's the third benefit of being in the family that we're looking at this morning. In him we have the Holy Spirit. And that word sealed right there. That's not like an envelope that's been sealed. It's not something closed up. It's a seal like a king uh, in, in old times would take a, a signet ring and he would press it into, into clay or he would press it into, into molten wax. It's a seal. And it, and it shows that there's, there's legality to what's going on, that this is authentic. So when it says we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, it's not that we've been closed up with the Holy Spirit. God has put his stamp of approval on us. God has taken his signet ring and he has said, this is authentic. That's how he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. And you may doubt your place in the family, but the enemy doesn't doubt your place in the family because he can see that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also gives us wisdom and revelation, as it says in verse 17. So you can know God. It said, uh, Paul prays that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know him. You see, God is not hiding, nor is he impossible to know. He wants to be known. The Holy Spirit also brings the power of God to work in us and through us. In verse 19 there in Ephesians 1, it says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might? Now, the Amplified Version says it this way, And so that you will begin to know what the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power is in us who believe. The Holy Spirit brings power to use in us and through us. The power of God is meant to flow through his children. In verse 20 and 21, it says that this is the same, the same power that raised Christ from the dead and that God gave him authority over everything. And because Jesus has authority, it's invested in us as the church. In verse 22 and 23, it says, and he put all things under his feet. 
God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. Jesus is the head. We're the body. If something is going to be under Jesus' feet, it's got to be under our feet because he's the head and we're the body. Everything that is under Jesus' feet, which is everything that doesn't belong in heaven, anything that you can think of that's not going to be in heaven, that is under Jesus' feet, should also be under our feet because we're in the family. All right. Moving over into Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 10, it says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's the fourth benefit to being in the family. In Christ, you have a purpose. No matter who you are, When you're in the family, you've got a purpose. You've got a destiny. You've got all of the gifts that it's ever going to take to fulfill the call of God on your life. And yes, you are called. If you're in the family, you're called. You have a purpose. It's kind of of like chores around the house. Everybody needs to be doing something. Everybody doesn't have to be doing everything, but we all need to be doing something. Somebody may uh, be the one that has to mow the lawn. Somebody may get to do the dishes. Somebody may get to cook. Somebody may get to vacuum. But we're all doing something. And when we all do it together, it benefits the kingdom. Now, when I'm talking about chores, sometimes we go, uh, because nobody wants to mow the grass. Nobody wants to do the dishes. But think about the great things that God has called us to do. In Ephesians, over in uh, chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Do not be foolish, but understand what what the will of the Lord is. The CEV, the contemporary English version, puts it this way. Don't be ignorant, but understand what God's will is. See, sometimes we don't think that we have a purpose. Sometimes we, we don't think that, that we can know what it is that God wants me to do. But he wants us to know. See, life means nothing without Christ and him overflowing in us and through us. So the way to know our purpose is to talk to the Lord about it. He wants to talk to you about it. And recognize the passions that are already in you. Most people don't even recognize that the things that we naturally do, the things that we feel compelled to do, A lot of times that's already the giftings of God being seen in us. If you just have this passion for people to know Jesus, you've probably got an evangelistic call. If you just want to make sure that everybody's okay and that everybody's doing well and everybody's being loved, you've probably got a pastoral gifting. If you want to make sure that everybody is growing in the word, You've probably got a teaching gifting. We've all got gifts. And God wants you to know what they are, and he wants you to use them because that's part of being in the family. Now in Ephesians 2, verses 18 and 19, For through him 
We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Over in chapter 3, verse 12, it says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So here's the fifth and last benefit I want to talk about this morning. In him, we have access to the Father because we're in the family. Listen to verse 19 out of chapter 2 again. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're in the family. You're in the household. In him, we have access to the Father. But shame and condemnation would tell us that we can't come before a, a, a holy God because, oh, you know, we're so unholy. We've messed up. We've done something. So we hide from God and we make excuses, kind of like when, when Adam sinned, when Adam, when Adam messed up. It says God came looking for him. And he was, Adam, where are you? Adam, 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 where are you? And Adam finally says, well, I was hiding, Lord. Well, why were you hiding? Because I messed up. Well, why did you mess up? Oh, it's her fault. See, that's what shame does. Shame causes us to hide from the very one that wants to remove the shame from our life. Shame causes us to blame others for the things going on in our lives. But being a part of the family means we never have to hide because we can go straight to dad when we've messed up. And we can just talk to him about it. In Hebrews 4, verse 16, the scripture tells us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. With confidence. God wants us to have confidence to come before him and receive whatever it is we need to receive mercy, to receive grace. But shame tells us there's a, that there's a mountain of sin between me and God. Now, if I'm outside of a relationship with Jesus, there may be something between me and God because I'm on the outside. There's something that, that's blocking between me and God. But once you've come into that relationship with God, there may still be a, a mountain of things that we need to work on. But, but God is no longer separated from us because he's adopted us into the family. And now God is on the same side as we are working through our mess, working, working through our inconsistencies with us. Shame wants to tell you that, that God won't have anything to do with us. Shame wants to tell us that God's way over there and there's something blocking. Now, sin will stunt our growth. I'm not trying to say that, that dealing with sin is unimportant. It is important. But the thing is, when we're in the family, the Father wants to work through it with us. It's just kind of like the prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son, he, he was a son. He was a son, but he, he, had, he had gone off for a while and he had made a mess of things. And then he's coming back to the father and he's all ashamed of things. And he's saying, well, you know, uh, I'll grovel before you know, my father. But the father knew what was going on. Just like our heavenly father knows what's going on 
in our lives. And he doesn't rebuke us. In fact, it says that the father ran to his son and embraced him. So when we're going through things, we need to know that we have free access to the father and he's going to rush to us. And then what did, the, what did the father in the story do? It says that uh, um, he put the finest robe on his son. The robe represents identity. The father wants us to have an identity that is rooted and grounded in who we are through Christ Jesus. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. We are princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. And he wants us to think that way. He wants us to know that we are co-heirs with Jesus. And he wants us to react that way. He wants that to be our identity. Not the shame, not the mess that we've made. So he puts that robe on us and he brings us a righteous identity. The second thing that happened there is he put a ring on his finger, which represents authority. Just like the, the, the signet ring that I was talking about a little bit earlier that seals things, that, that, that says the authority of the king is here. The father put the ring on the son and gave him the authority of the family. And then it says that he put shoes on his feet, and this represents provision. God wants to provide for his kids. See, there's a, there's a scripture in Philippians chapter 4 that says, My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. There's another one of those promises. God wants to supply our need. So we go to him and we mix faith with the word and we begin to believe, yeah, God wants to take care of me. We believe that he wants to provide for us. But you're not going to get there unless you believe in the identity that he is giving you. If you're still identifying as that old person, yeah, maybe you believe that you've come into a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, I'm saved. But 2 Corinthians tells us that we are new creations. New, new, not remodeled, but new creations through Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. We are new. That's the identity that we need to have. I may have been this before, but this is who I am now. Because this is who God says I am. Even sometimes when I have trouble seeing it, I just tell myself, I am who God says I am. And that's, that's the heart that we need to have. And when we, we begin to see ourselves that way, we won't have so much trouble believing that God has invested in authority in us. Nor will we have so much trouble believing that God wants to take care of us. Since God has redeemed us, and he's given us an inheritance, and he's sealed us with his spirit, and he's given us a purpose and access to himself, what should we do? Well, chapter 4, verse 1 tells us. Ephesians 4, 1 says... I therefore, this is Paul writing, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You see, Paul has spent the first three chapters of Ephesians reminding them who they are through Jesus. And then he's going to take the next three chapters and he's going to tell them how to live it and why they should live it. In chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul instructs us to live humbly, gently, with patience, loving one another, being eager to walk in unity and peace, to put off the old self, and to renew our mind and be imitators of God, to walk as children of the light and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why? Because as Ephesians 6 tells us, that when you've, been, when you've done all to stand, you will be able to stand even in the evil day. We will be able to stand even when things aren't going our way. And even more, we will proclaim boldly the mystery of the gospel. If you weren't aware, the word gospel translates to good news, great news. And that's, that's what we're talking about is great news about who you are through Christ Jesus, who you are because you're in the family of God, because you've been adopted by God. And when we know who we are, we will boldly proclaim the mystery of the good news of Jesus. When you know who you are in Christ, you will stand and li live Jesus boldly in a world that's blind to their need for God but they'll see him through you. Our life of love will make them thirsty for God. I heard a story about a, a young salesman who had been out uh, showing the products for the company that he was working for. And he had gone several weeks and he's, he's doing demonstrations and he's showing people uh, the, the products and he's not closing any sales. He had not sold one thing. And in frustration, he went back to his sales manager and he said, well, I guess the, you know, the old adage is true. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And his sales manager with a little fire in his eyes said, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know what your job is. Your job is not to make them drink. Your job is to make them thirsty. And that's our job. We can't make people come into a relationship with Jesus. Our job is to make them thirsty. Matthew 5 tells us that we are the salt of the earth. So let's make people thirsty by living like we belong to the family. So what do I want you to know? There are benefits to being adopted into the family of God. I only gave you five. And there's at least, like I said before, there's at least 26 just in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Go find them. Go find those promises and begin to believe it for yourself. What do I want you to feel? 
I want you to feel the Holy Spirit empowering you to live the life that God has called you to live. And then what do I want you to do? Commit yourself to knowing who you are in Christ Jesus. And then commit yourself to making people thirsty by the way you live your life.